0: Welcome to the audiobook version of the novel Mercy Not Sacrifice by Dan Parks, read by the author. Chapter 5. The Shop 1993 was a year when the rain never stopped, and the water rose, and the river filled up, and flooded most of the farms along it, and Todd Carter got it the worst. It had rained every day from the first of the month to the last day of August, and in the beginning of April... Grandpa John bought end dump trailers to haul rock to strengthen the levees along the river. Looking back, it was throwing good money on a hopeless cause, but Gardenstown, a community with agriculture at its roots, was in panic. The 300 acres of bottom ground lay next to the Missouri River, south of town and just north of the village of Lisbon. The land had been in his family for a century when Grandpa John bought it that fall. Carmen carriers in the local rock quarry in town made money that year, while the rest of the town spent it. The first shop was built on the high spot next to the bluff. It was a 100 by 300 steel building with white metal siding and a red roof. Grandpa John built it big enough to fit a tractor and trailer inside from any direction. He liked to be out in the truck, but he was there that summer due to operational need. He would have rather been on the road where time was infinite and the miles were endless. Behind the wheel of a truck, thoughts took you farther than the drivetrain ever could. The seat belt can be the only thing that contains a driver's mind. The road offers possibility, but behind the veil of sunrises and sunsets and mountains and valleys it hides an awful thing, man's utter loneliness. Mike had been hired in 1975, the day after he had graduated from Gardenstown High School. He was a stocky man with a clean-shaven face and a thick head of black and silver hair. Mike had a gap in his front teeth, where he kept an unfiltered cigarette, leaving his hands free to work. He was a man of the church and had been a founding member of my dad's congregation. My first full summer in the shop was before my senior year in high school. Walking in the door on the southeast side of the shop, Grandpa John heard me come in. Johnny, he said. Welcome back. Who's that? Mike asked. He rolled out on a mechanics creeper from underneath an O3 Freightliner Sentry Class tractor. What are we working on today? I asked. Grandpa John held up a yoke from a drive shaft and the new U-joint that went with it. U-joints, he said. Mike sat up with a cigarette in his teeth and grease on his forehead as his face held a smile. He had married his wife April Young and for years they had tried to have children but failed. But their marriage bed stayed alive. April let bitterness lie and was the best wife that Gardenstown had. Mike became a surrogate father to every young man he met and I might have been his favorite. How can I help? Grandpa John stood at the workbench. A piece of metal as big as my calf was in the vise. The right end of the shaft was straight and had six-inch splines cut in the end, and the left end looked like a cupped hand. Let's work together on this, Grandpa John said. We'll replace this U-joint. He pointed to the open end of the shaft and took the U-joint out of the small box that it was housed in. He held it up to measure its fit. Using pliers, he placed the metal ring in, and the top side of the U-joint was set. You want the next one? he asked. Can you walk me through the process? Yeah. Hand me the yoke. I scanned the items on the bench in front of me. Sitting on the creeper, Mike nodded in encouragement and rolled himself back under the truck. Tools were laid out. Wrenches, sockets, a pry bar, and pliers of all shapes and sizes. I looked for a piece that I didn't recognize. And then I saw a chunk of metal that was a little bigger than a softball with two matching open ends. The yoke? Yes, Grandpa John responded. The yoke needs to be attached to the U-joint on the end of the shaft. It goes together like the one before? Yes, he said, but these can be tricky. Grandpa John grabbed the box that the new U-joint came in and shook it upside down until two small open metal rings fell out. He picked one up and held it in between his fingers and thumb. This is the snap ring, he said. Mike muffled a sound. What did he say? He calls them something different, Grandpa John said. Mike poked his head out from underneath the truck. Jesus rings, Mike said. Grandpa John took the yoke and placed it over the U-joint. The connection fought him, but eventually he willed them to line up. Then with the pliers, he took a snap ring and prepared to pop it into place. Why does he call them Jesus rings, I asked. Uh, because of what they do. His hands worked skillfully as he talked. These little rings hold the whole thing in place, he said. Without them, the drive train would fall apart. He got the first snap ring in place and then loosened the vise and flipped the drive shaft over to the other side. What does the yoke do? I asked. Grandpa John worked the other snap ring into place. Now that I got that Jesus ring in the place, I'll show you. He laughed and took the yoke in his hands. The yoke is the pivot point, he said. He took it in his hands, twisting it and turning it. If the drive shaft was just a straight piece of metal, it would break under pressure. The drive train needs a focal point, and the yoke is there to take the stress, he said. The summer before, my dad had left my mom. He had said he needed to get away to become a better man. It left me to be an intermediary between them. It's the yoke that breaks down then, I asked. No, Grandpa John responded. The yoke is strong. It's the U-joints that break first. They act as the sacrifice. At a young age, I had learned to let go of what I wanted, and instead I lived to keep others from pain. If my mom felt rejected by my dad, then I would refuse myself. When my dad struggled to find acceptance, I responded by not giving it to myself. Had this been the correct way to act? Grandpa John took a clean rag from the back of his pants and wiped his face with it. Done. Now we put it on the truck. Bring that whole unit over to Mike and he'll show you how to put it on. I carried the shaft and the attached yoke over to the truck. You ready, Mike? His head appeared from underneath the truck and pointed to the upright bin that contained bolts and nuts and washers of all shapes and sizes for fabrication in the shop. Grab that creeper leaning up against the bolt bin, set the unit on it and push it under. I followed the drive shaft underneath the truck. A drop light was hung back behind us from a fuel line. The sockets needed for the job were prepared on the floor. A half-inch ratchet and an 18-inch breaker bar sat next to his head. Over by the passenger tire was a can of penetrating oil and a wire brush to clean the threads of the bolts. Often a person who does can't teach, but Mike was different. He could do both. We need to attach what you put together back on the truck. How? First, realize that the drive shaft has a beginning and an end. It all starts up here at the transmission. He then pointed to the yoke. The drive line works as an intermediary. The engine gives power to the transmission through the drive shaft and to the rear end, turning the axles, making the wheels spin. Don't get ahead of yourself, though. You just gotta take one thing at a time, he said. One thing at a time. One day at a time. Dr. Healer had first shared those words with me. But the future was out of reach when I had to strain through each minute. Lori relieved me from all that. She had been young and full of dreams and plans for the future. And I wanted to make them come true. Grab those two bolts, Mike said. And the ratchet, an extension with a 9 socket. He rolled his creeper over to my side of the truck. Now center yourself with the drive line, he said. He propped himself up, leaning his head on his hand. Pick up the tube and line it up. All by myself, I asked. We've all done it. I have, your grandpa has, and your dad. When you have to do something, you'll find a way. Really? I'll be here in case it falls, he said. How long you think it takes an ambulance to get out here? And he laughed. Eighteen inches above my head is where it needed to be. The tube and the yoke combination was about thirty-six inches long and weighed about eighty pounds. I placed it on my chest and heaved it up into place. But Mike stopped me about a third of the way up. Whoa, Johnny, he said. It might be easier if you turn it around. My face flushed red. I had had it backwards. Take your slip joint, Mike said. He pointed to the part of the drive shaft that hung down from the support bearing leading to the rear shaft and slide it in there until it's set. Then I only have to hold one side. Exactly, he responded. It's easier if you work from a solid spot and move forward. Grandpa John and Mike saw the world differently. They didn't see things for what they could get out of them, but instead thought about what they could give back. In my early years of the shop, they fed me on a steady diet of wisdom. Grandpa John was a man that had learned by trial and error in his life. He had touched the hot stove and learned he didn't like to get burnt. Mike was different. He had a naturally philosophic mind and taught himself to be a mechanic. But he also asked questions. On a 1979 Ford L9000, he pulled the block and replaced the camshaft in two hours. He looked at it and was able to count the number of sprockets and bearings that needed to be pulled. On his first reinstall, he got the stroke and the timing right. We finished the drive shaft and rolled out from underneath the truck. Washing our hands at the wash tub, I had noticed that Grandpa John had slipped out of the shop. He got out of here quick, I said. Mike looked down at his watch. It's almost 12, he said and winked at me. That means we can take an early lunch. May is a beautiful month in Missouri, as it's still early enough in the summer that the air remains bearable at noon. It's when parts of the April flower bloom still remain, and the air is thick with the happiness of children who are free from the constraints of school. Sitting on the tailgate of Mike's truck, we ate from our lunch boxes. Mike had a roast beef sandwich while I ate chicken salad. You got a girlfriend? He asked. Lori, I responded. Serious? I nodded as it was the most serious thing that I had had in my life. Johnny, he said, you're at a time in your life when you need to try things to see what you like. I spit out a piece of chicken bone from a sandwich. When you go trying a pair of shoes, you don't buy the first pair, do you? It depends on if I like them. Mike shook his head and smiled. He pulled a pack of cigarettes out of his shirt pocket and packed them in his hand. Lori had always been special to me, even at that young age. She gave me stability in my life. He opened the box and pulled off the foil with his teeth and offered one to me. Don't tell your Grandpa John. I lit the cigarette and took a long drag. We didn't hear him come around the back of the shop, and he didn't make a sound when he walked up to Mike's truck and leaned on the bed rails. A banker's lunch? he asked. I turned around, with the cigarette hanging out of my mouth to see that Grandpa John had arrived. I spit it out and stomped it onto the ground with my boot. He didn't say a word as we worked through the day and finished in the late afternoon. When I punched out on the time clock by the door, he was waiting on me at my truck. Johnny, Grandpa John said as he waved me over to him. You have a long life ahead of you. And you get to make many decisions, and each one will take you somewhere. He placed his arm around my shoulder. We are either going up or down the stairs of life, as each choice is like a step. Sometimes you find yourself going down, but you want to try to go up, Johnny. Uh, Okay, I said. If you find yourself in a bad spot, remember that you can turn around and go back to where you started, he said. Grandpa John began to walk away, but he stopped before he had gone too far. His face told me he had more to say. I don't care if you smoke, Johnny, he said, but don't hide it. Whenever you begin to hide who you are, eventually you'll start to hide from yourself. Okay, I said. Hiding from oneself leads to running, Grandpa John said, and you can't outrun yourself. Eventually, that man will catch up.